Hi, y'all. Welcome to the Creatives Potluck Podcast, the show where we celebrate the abundance of knowledge and resources among our creative community. Today, I'm so excited to bring you this episode because we're talking to someone who I've admired for a very long time, and I know you'll get a lot out of this episode. In this interview, I talk with Chelsea Hernandez, who's a documentary director, producer, editor, and so much more. We talk about her early start in the industry, her latest documentary, Building the American Dream, and she demystifies fellowships and labs for filmmakers. Chelsea brings a lot to the potluck today, so I hope you brought your appetite. Before we get started, I do want to mention that this episode is brought to you by The Scrunchie Club. Scrunchies are making a comeback, y'all, and I know what you're thinking. Why did they ever go away in the first place? The Scrunchie Club partners with independent women and non-binary artists for their unique and colorful scrunchies. And get this, 15% of the proceeds are donated to various nonprofit organizations. Great style and advocacy all in one. I personally like to buy two of each scrunchie so that I can work my space buns in my selfies. I get so many compliments on these, y'all. People just love these designs. They're a daily go-to for me, for sure. I have a lot of hair and it's super curly, so sometimes regular hair ties just don't cut it. I used to think it was my hair's fault, but no. I was just using the wrong accessory. Visit www.thescrunchyclub.com to learn more about the artists, nonprofits, and of course, the fabulous scrunchies for sale. Just for being a listener, you'll get 10% off your first order when you use the promo code PODCAST10. That's PODCAST10 at checkout. With that, here's my interview with Chelsea Hernandez. Bon appetit! Cool. All right. Let's get started. So this episode we have with us Chelsea Hernandez. She is a Mexican-American filmmaker based in Austin, Texas, and was named one of Texas Monthly's 10 Filmmakers on the Rise. She's an eight-time Lone Star Emmy-winning director, producer, and editor. That is a mouthful. Um, And she started her career in media very young at the age of nine, where she hosted and co-produced a local children's educational TV program program. That is insane. She studied film at Adelphi University and Brooklyn College in New York City and graduated from the University of Texas. Um, She's a fellow of Firelight Media Doc Lab and Tribeca slash A&E Edit Story Lab and All Access. Um, So many accolades. Chelsea's most recent documentary premiered at the South by Southwest Film Festival and will be broadcasting on PBS on September 15th. She recently completed the Big Medium Artist Residency where she worked and lived at the Line Austin while creating an art installation as part of a new film project centered around student loan debt stories. Chelsea, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you today. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for reaching out and yeah, inviting me. This is awesome. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I thought you'd be perfect for this podcast because you are one of the people that I feel is really open and you're kind of one of the people in the Austin film community that's kind of a connector. Like you know people, you're connected, but you take that step of listening to the needs of other filmmakers, especially women filmmakers here in Austin um, and, and making those connections. So that's something that's super valuable. So super happy that you're uh here in the austin film world yay (laughs) yeah let's get into talking about you for a little bit um i know that over the past few years you you've transitioned into being a full-time documentarian can you talk a little bit about your journey to get there 
Yes, uh, it was a very long journey. Um, and I mean, I started out, as you mentioned in the lovely uh, bio in introduction of me. Um, I mean, I started out in media when I was uh, like nine. Um, I had like a kid's show that was like a Martha Stewart show, but for kids. And no, you can't, <laughs> you cannot find it on YouTube anywhere. <laughs> Uh, this was before internet days. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And so I, uh, my mom was a producer at the access station mm -hmm. and it, that was just such a great free resource in Austin where we could, you know, rent equipment and we could film and my mom had access to like editing suites and I would sit in, um, on her sessions because she would edit. So she would, she would, we were both like directing and producing, like coming up with ideas together. And um, she would sometimes film, my dad would sometimes film, my sister would Aww. be our production assistant. Um, uh, oh, actually, I should say she was our associate producer. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Probably the, the youngest. Yeah, yeah, it was totally a family <laughs> affair. What a beautiful way of like connecting so young and to have that kind of creative freedom, you know, to, to produce something did, was that like a, how, what was that impact on like your family dynamic at that time? Yeah. I mean, it was definitely like our lives, you know, um, mm -hmm. every weekend we would film or come up with ideas and, I think we filmed 99 episodes. Oh um, yeah, like half hour episodes. Wow. Um, but we, we started at the Access Channel and then we got like picked up by local news and the head of the local WB affiliate at the time like read our story in the Statesman uh, newspaper and was like, we wanna have your show on our network. And we were wow. like, okay. <laughs> um, so, so then it became definitely like um, a professional, like family gig, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, we were all constantly involved. Um, we ended up being flown out to like Washington DC when I was 14 and did some wow. episodes there um, and some specials for the network and yeah, I, it was, it was fun. I mean, it was tough. Like, you know, being a kid, I think sometimes I was just like, I, I just want to play with my friends, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Um, but I think now, you know, 20 years later, I totally appreciate it um, in a way that I didn't at the time. And now I'm also just like picking up on things that like I learned back then um, and am good at now. So in thinking about like editing, you know, I went to college for like eight years, um, cause I thought I was going to go into broadcast journalism after doing the show where I was the host mm -hmm. and I was in front mm -hmm. of the camera. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I realized that I really liked documentary film and I met a group of people in Austin who were a little older than me and they were doing just random film projects and I tagged along and learned and I thought oh actually I like doing this because I wasn't very good like I wasn't witty enough to be like a broadcast journalist like 
on TV, you know, like mm. you have to think real quick, you know, you yeah. have to be on it's top like a of- performance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. totally a performance. And I just felt like I didn't, I wasn't fast enough to, you know, say things quickly or, you know, think on my toes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I loved like journalism. Like I loved mm-hmm. interviewing people. I loved meeting new people, getting into different worlds. And this was also before documentaries were really cool and like the hot thing right now, you know? <laughs> so chic. Yeah. Right, right. Before Vice. Before, yes. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and and so, yeah, I, I just like kind of gravitated to that and they gave me an opportunity to just, you know, get involved. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to seek this out even more. And so I went to the, I transferred to the University of Texas um, and just took documentary classes. I did mm. take a narrative class with Kat Candler, which was the best class ever. I mainly focused on like documentary mm-hmm. my two years there. And then out of there, I had the opportunity to work on a national broadcast special. And uh, my professor, Ellen Spiro at the time was the one who hired me because I had taken several classes from her and she realized you know, that I guess I had talent. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) There's something there. (laughs) She knows what she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And so she just really trusted in me to, you know, have responsibility and Mm -hmm. knew that I could learn. And that was the best like door opening ever because it was just like throwing me into this. I don't know. I, I, I look back now and I was like, wow, I didn't feel really nervous at that time. Maybe it was just cause I was so excited, yeah. you know, and, and I'm like naive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably <laughs> not. You're like, I just want to do this. And yeah, sometimes you have to fake it till you make it and you don't even know that that's what you're doing, but right. it's like, I gotta just do this. Yeah. And, and I think too, I was just surrounded by some great people who yeah. knew that this was my first time doing this, but didn't treat me like a child or anything. You know, mm-hmm. they were just like ushering me and like helping me and, um, and giving me the resources, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I was an associate producer and an assistant editor on there. And then I just found my way in editing over the next few years, mainly because there's money in post-production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so like you know the post-production phase like everyone always has their money secured uh well usually you know so so I was able to get work then and then I realized that yeah like I was a good editor and I think back to the times of like hanging out in the really small edit suite with my mom at the public access station where she was editing like VHS tape, you know, like it was real to real turning the Mm -hmm. knobs, click, click, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I was like, wow, I think that did actually like have an impression on me, you know, at Mm -hmm. that young age. And I, it's carried on like now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It almost normalized that creative process and like that production aspect of things that for most people, it's kind of like movie magic or like behind the scenes. But for you, you kind of got that front seat really early on. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't, I think because I um, knew I wanted to go into documentary in college, I didn't really venture out into like film, like cutting 16 millimeter film, like shooting on 16 millimeter, which I think 
everyone does, uh, like mm-hmm. every film student does. Um, but I actually kind of like skip those courses uh, so I can take documentary. But seeing my mom edit like reel to reel, I think was that kind of like um, film like course, you know, because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was very specific, specific of like, you know, cutting frame by frame and, and seeing, you know, what that does. And I think that that did really help me in like knowing, you know, how important each edit like was, you know, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. And, and so I just, I found work through edit. I worked as an assistant editor for a while and then I worked at the local PBS station in Austin on a doc series for like three years. And again, like, uh, had an amazing like mentor who also like brought me into that job. And that was my first like editor title. And so, yeah. And that's when I started developing my feature documentary um, while I was working. So it was like, I think my second year there, it was like, you know, working, uh, editing, you know, at the office during the day and then coming home and like writing grant materials or figuring out, wow. you know, who, who to film and, and doing research and stuff. Yeah. And then, and then I got a really big grant for my feature film. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go do this full time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And, and that's how, that's kind of where I'm at now is like, I can feel really fortunate to be able to now like do this stuff, you know, full time. Yeah. That sounds like the dream, right? Like <laughs> kind of working for yourself and like doing your own creative projects since you were working at the PBS affiliate for, you know, a couple of years now that your film is going to be playing or you know broadcasting on PBS is there what does that feel like are there any types of feelings like in my head I'm like oh that seems a little full circle but I don't know like what's it like to be in that position yeah no it's totally full circle totally I mean my mentor um at the time and he's still my mentor like he just taught me so much about like knowing who's in the room you know, and like making sure you talk with them and like research them before you enter that room also. Mm-hmm. And so we had gone to the Nalip conference and this was mm-hmm. like back in 2014, maybe. So the National Association for Latino Independent Producers has an annual conference and it's in LA and we, we went and he was just like, make sure to like research who's on the panels, who's going to be attending, you know, know their names, their backgrounds, you know, and that was where I met Pam Aguilar, who is now um, part of the programming team at PBS, National PBS. Mm-hmm. And so now I, you know, am coordinating with her for my PBS broadcast. And she's been a champion of the film, um, pushing it to like get on the network. And so, yeah, I look at that. I'm just like, get chills. Cause I'm like, it's totally a full circle. And just having that very simple advice of like, mm-hmm. you know, looking, seeing if you can find pictures of people too, like their names. So that like, when you're at a conference, you know, at the party or the networking mixer, you know mm-hmm. who that person is and you can like mm-hmm. go talk to them and bring up something, you know, because yeah. you already know them. I guess it's kind of like stalking them first. And then approaching but them. I mean, it's, 
I feel like stalking has such a negative connotation, mm-hmm. but like, that's kind of like good stalking. It's research, <laughs> I mean, right? It's, yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you think about it, like if you were doing development on a film and you were like, okay, well, if I had the ideal cast, who would that be? And then you do research, right? Exactly. So in this case, it's like, if I had the ideal, you know, people to be supporting this film or, you know, how can I, you know, kind of position myself in a way that is beneficial to me, which in some ways sounds a little weird, but like, no, you know. it, it's almost like a job interview, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, totally. I was getting ready for my job interview, just like, you know, five years later or earlier, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, like you go into an interview and you're, you should <laughs> at least, uh, like, you know, learn about the company and the mm-hmm. person you're going to talk to before you go in. Yeah. So I guess it's sort of like that. And my mentor, Mario Troncoso, like he was the one who like gave me that advice. And like, it's, I take that with me like everywhere I go. I mean, that's just like part of my like networking skills, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like so Mm -hmm. helpful. And I just, I try to tell other people that too. And honestly it helps. Like I used to be very, very, very shy network. I like, I, I would go to film festivals and I had short films and festivals and I just didn't, I like never wanted to attend by myself. Like Mm -hmm. I needed my boyfriend. I need my best friend. Like I needed someone to come with me. Like I'm not going by myself. (laughs) Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. It it was just like the scariest thing like ever, like talking Mm -hmm. to random people and now I don't, I don't feel like that at all. Like yeah, doing that research totally helps. And then I also just realized that everyone doesn't know everyone at these festivals too. So like, yeah, it's not yeah. a big deal to just go up to them and say exactly. hi, you know? You know, for a long time, I mean, I've gone to lots of film festivals and been in that position where it's like, I'm literally the only one I know in this room of so many people. Like, how are people talking to each other? And like, that's how, you know, <laughs> like they're like, oh, hey, you're that person, right? And then people aren't yes. weirded out that you know who they are because their information is everywhere, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And if you're you're at a conference or you mm-hmm. see a panel or you see a film, like you're going to see someone on those, you know, spots um, or from the film Q&A or whatever, mm-hmm. like at that place. So now you know them and you can just go up and like, give them a compliment, you know, and then start off the conversation, you know? Yeah. I love that. That's a really great advice. Cause I think that that, like the whole demystifying networking is something that I think we don't really talk a lot about. It's like, Hey, network. And for some people that means something completely different than other people. So I think that really, that's really good advice. Yeah. Especially starting out, you know? Yeah, for sure. And then you know, this industry is so small and, you know, once you start doing that, you're going to come around to the same people at the like next conference. I mean, we both went to Sundance, you mm-hmm. know, together and mm-hmm. I, I was actually like really nervous about attending Sundance because it's just- Were you? Because I couldn't tell. <laughs> you were the one that was talking to everybody and I was like, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> I mean, that was what was so crazy is like, I didn't expect- to know as many people as I did. And (laughs) that was really exciting to me because it was like, oh, like 
the past like four years, the work I put in, but also like going to retreats and um, networking ops and conferences and talking to people. Like now I feel like I am part of this industry. I know people and I don't know, that was, that was really, I was not expecting that just like, you know, it was not planned. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, yeah I so mean, cool. it's a, it's a small industry, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon with everyone and it starts becoming like, you know, two now degrees, it's one degrees and yeah, yeah, now it's starting to be the six degrees of Chelsea Hernandez because okay. everyone seems to know you, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so in your kind of transition, you know, into working full-time on your own project, I know that, you know, a lot of times working as an artist can be somewhat isolating, right? You don't have like an office to go to necessarily or coworkers that are going to be around you. How did you kind of deal with that kind of shift in dynamic with other people, especially since, you know, we're talking about the importance of networking and all of that, like, what was that like? Yeah, it can be very isolating at times. And I realized that I needed to rely heavily like on my team or, or that I needed to make sure I had a really good team that I can like go to and make sure that, you know, I, I'm not isolated all the time. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, my, my editor, um, Sarah Garahan, who I met while going to college at UT and now lives in LA. She's amazing. We are friends and we just like really work together well as a team. And I knew I could just like always go to her for advice to figure stuff out if I was stuck, you know. And then, you know, I also had like a consulting editor, um, mentors are like really important um, to kind of get yourself out of that isolation um, feeling, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I think too, you start to, you like, you're going to hit a wall at some point, you mm-hmm. know, right? Like you're going to get those blocks. I mean, and I guess this isn't for every, I mean, everyone's different, right? For me, it was like, I needed to have inspiration from the outside world mm-hmm. or from other mm-hmm. people in order yeah. to like go past that block. Like I have to talk it out with people, you know? Yes. And yeah. I think, that's where having a team is really important because I could be like, okay, like, let's talk about this. And then my boyfriend also is like, he's a documentary filmmaker too. So I knew I, I, I know I can like go to him as well to like talk about, you know, what's happening or what's going on with the block and try to like get it out and figure it out, you know? And then I think like, I think having friends, <laughs> like a circle of friends <laughs> yeah. is helpful, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to get out and just like talk and sorry, I totally like ended that weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, Cut okay. that out. No, uh, I- <laughs> yeah, I understand that that's, it's like you have to now be a little bit more intentional about the curation of the people in your circle and in your space, which in a lot of ways is a good a good thing, right? Like you're able to kind of work with people that you collaborate with well instead of having that like one coworker where you're like, man, <laughs> how is this person still around? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. Like it's, it is definitely in curation, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's a process. 
Like mm-hmm. it does not come quickly. I think this happens to probably all filmmakers. You know, you think you're going to click with someone and you start working together and it's not working out and you have to learn how to let that go, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, that's the hardest thing. I feel like, and it took me a while to even get to uh, my team for this film, you know, now, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think too, it's helpful to, you know, work uh, with other people too, in different capacities, you know, to see how you gel as well and to get like, seek advice from others who have like worked with that person also you know and I I I don't want to like shame people you know like I don't want people to like say bad things about others but you know Mm -hmm. I think there's just certain you know you have to click you know Mm -hmm. working with an editor with a producer um it is like a marriage and you've got to make it work because the film is at stake you know like that's the baby you gotta like feed and (laughs) make sure it lives you know but but it's it's definitely a curation for sure that's awesome so well let's talk about I feel like labs and fellowships are something that aren't necessarily on a lot of filmmakers radar especially um like narrative filmmakers and maybe it's more popular in the documentary world but again like I don't really know much about it but I know that you've participated in a couple can you kind of talk about your experience with that and how that's kind of played into your development of your film and and your kind of trajectory yeah I mean I had no idea what labs were like filmmaking Mm -hmm. labs were and I think they weren't super well known when I had started I mean this was back in like 20 12 2013 ish you know um and I had heard about Firelight Media's documentary lab through my colleague at the PBS station and someone had come to talk at the station and they were expressing uh, or they were giving an explanation of their lab it was invite only at the time now it's an open call oh for the lab itself for the lab yeah oh Uh wow it didn't start off as an open call Mm -hmm. um I think you just had to like kind of inquire about it and Mm -hmm. she yeah my my good friend too Eve like she was like you should look into this and it just sounds like it'd be really good for you for your first feature. And so I did and was selected and they, you know, only select a very small number of filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And I think back then it was even smaller. So my cohort was only, I want to say like maybe six people. Oh, um, wow. That's pretty like tight knit. Yes. You know? Yes, mm-hmm. very much. And um, it was the most incredible thing ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I think it was also like really good time. Like I think for emerging filmmakers and first time mm-hmm. filmmakers, that's like apply to the labs, even if you think you know everything, because just having that network, having a cohort that you can also mm-hmm. lean on. I mean, I think that helped me out of my isolation also because I could call people up and talk through problems. And yeah, I mean, it was an 18 month mentorship program. And then we had three retreats that were, I think about four days. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. And I had never really 
done anything like that and Mm -hmm. it's and the film the firelight media doc lab is for filmmakers of color first and second time filmmakers and so you know working in austin which is primarily white um Mm -hmm. and is a very white industry here Mm -hmm. i felt like i wasn't able to speak about you know my ethnicity or you know problems i've encountered you know in the Mm -hmm. industry Mm -hmm. as a latina and going to this retreat was just like so therapeutic you know it was just like I I realized I wasn't alone. Like I wasn't the only person going through stuff. I wasn't the only person being denied like a raise, you know, other people were dealing with it too. And so it was just helpful to be able to like release and Mm -hmm. then heal and learn and like move forward. And then having like the tools also, it was so, so incredible. So I, I feel like everyone should try to, uh, you know, apply or join. I also did um, the Bay Area Video Coalition in San Francisco. Their fellowship, uh, it's the National Media Maker Fellowship. And it used to be just for San Francisco-based or Bay Area-based filmmakers. And then they opened it up so they get 10 fellows and five are from outside the Bay Area and then five are from the Bay Area. Yeah. That's awesome. That's like networking. That's a great networking opportunity. Yeah. And that was cool too. Cause it was like, now, you know, people in the Bay and like, mm-hmm. I love them all. Like we were on a zoom call a few weeks ago. Like we, mm-hmm. we, we have a text, uh, uh, string, like all a of us chat. Yeah, group <laughs> chat. Yeah. Like they're so great. Um, we keep in touch, um, very frequently and yeah, it's just, it's just, you have to be surrounded by lovely people, you know, in this, you know, very, what can be a very isolating occupation, you know? Yeah. So let's shift gears and talk about your documentary, Building the American Dream. Um, It's centered around labor laws in Texas and obviously has um, a big activism component to it. How has that played a part in the development of your film and the overall kind of impact that you're trying to make with it um, and, and the legs it's kind of gained? Yeah. When I was doing the Firelight Media Doc Lab, I learned, or they also at the time um, had started an impact producers lab. And I had no idea what that meant. I mean, I was just like, oh, impact. Like, yeah, like you want your documentary to make impact, right? Uh, So like someone helps do that. And That is kind of like the definition for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's it's a like lot. That more. documentary was powerful. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like that, but also not really. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And and yeah, I ended up meeting my now impact producer there, and I mean, also being in the lab and like going through different cuts and being in production and presenting, you know, scenes to people to get feedback. It was also helpful to see like how the stories 
of these construction workers, all immigrant construction workers, were being seen by others and then how it was um, affecting people and allowing them to, you know, think about this issue of exploitation among immigrants in the construction industry. Mm -hmm. And so that was where I just really honed in on making a film that like I wanted to make, you know, because I think there was a lot of, there was some fear, I guess, going into making this movie because Texas politicians are very scary people sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and it's a red state and it's very Mm -hmm. um, business oriented. And yeah, so I was, I was taking on a pretty big issue, which is probably why like nobody had done anything before. (laughs) I don't know. Like, what am I doing? Yeah, like there were times where I was just like, I don't know, like maybe I should, I don't know. I, but it, but in the end, like what kept me going was like the, the workers themselves, like mm-hmm. they were out speaking up, you know, they had way more to put at risk than myself, you know, because mm-hmm. they could be deported as they're like talking to a news person about their story, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just had to put my own fears aside and think about what my original intention was, was to uncover this so that others can speak out and hopefully, you know, some change can happen. And I didn't really know what that change would be. So getting an impact producer was really helpful because then it was like, oh, like, it's, it's not that like you're making a film to change laws, but you are making a film to engage people, right? And mm-hmm. many times to change hearts and minds so that, you know, people think about, for instance, like with this film, I have so many people who like now like think of construction workers in a totally different way. And, mm-hmm. you know, they'll tell me, oh my God, I just, I passed a construction site on you know, when I was leaving uh, your screening, you know, and was thinking, you know, do they have, you know, a safety protection, protection, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or people or notice that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or people will notice now, like when they're not wearing goggles or a mask or have a helmet, you know, and mm-hmm. that's what I wanted the film to do too. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully others can push for changes in the law. Um, yeah. Because that is so real <laughs> because the first time I saw your, your film, it was when we were at the downtown venue. When I left, I looked around at all of the buildings and I was like, oh my gosh, how many construction workers have been injured in the city of Austin and in the last 10 years where there's been such a boom? Like it's, it's scary to think that like the places that we go to have fun and just you know, our day-to-day, our offices, like there have been people injured there and exploited no matter how you frame it. And having your documentary so clearly lay that out was a very powerful, for lack of a better word, thing to to kind of witness. And it sounds like other people are taking taking that away too. Yeah, for sure. I think our third screening yeah our last screening at south by southwest was at the austin film society cinema and right Mm. across the street is that whole construction site at the Mm. highland uh acc campus Mm. um and so everyone like 
would see that construction site when they left the movie and I was just yeah. like ah like this yay <laughs> you know <laughs> like doing it yeah yeah because yeah. I think too sometimes like you know like I am an activist i I go marching, um, you know, I call lawmakers. I can't be an activist for the film, like in the film, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like I need to just share the stories in order to uncover the issues so people can connect with it. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a balance, you know, because, you know, I might have my own biases, but like I can't put that into the documentary because then you know, it may not be credible to others mm-hmm. also, mm-hmm. you know? So like, yeah. I also need to do my duty of like being a filmmaker, doing the correct research, making sure everything is like fact-checked and I'm telling a correct story and then sharing the stories of like individuals, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is how you get to people's hearts, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really great point. My next question is really around that storytelling. So that's kind of the perfect segue, you know, in your, you know, maintaining your integrity as a documentary filmmaker and keeping that objectivity how do you go about the crafting of a story when it's kind of unfolding in front of you and you have to put kind of your own perspective aside? How do you build that out and what's your approach? It's helpful to be behind the camera, <laughs> like to have that kind of filter to just be like, okay, I'm just going to keep recording this craziness that's happening right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea what the story was going to be when I started making it. I knew the issue. I knew potential characters or key players, you know, within the fight for safety, safer working conditions. Um, and then I knew, well, I needed to talk to construction workers and mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure I had, you know, people in different areas of the industry um also a female and i probably spent a couple years first just doing research like the initial research Mm -hmm. um some very basic filming at the organization that we filmed at and then you know applying for grants and trying to get funding and i had a really awesome uh, grant writer who just kind of wrote out the story i mean ultimately like you kind of are a narrative filmmaker at the early production of Mm -hmm. your film you know Mm because you you have to write out a story so I'm writing what I think is gonna happen you know but then you know the film follows this family who lost their son to heat stroke on the job because there's no federal or state law mandating employers to give their workers a rest break and so this you know this happened when I was just filming you know I was going to film at this rally and like this family had just lost their son like a couple months prior and they had showed up at this rally and then I just I just had to follow them you know um Mm -hmm. and that it was a little you know because I I try to be as sensitive as possible but then I've learned now that you know there's a way to be sensitive but then also like you want to tell the story and you and you need to explain to the individual too, like the importance of their story as well, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think for me at first, I was a little bit scared of like stepping on their toes. I mean, mm-hmm. they had just lost their son, like, and now I'm like shining a camera on them, you mm-hmm. know, um, through this like emotional time, but they wanted to talk, you know, like mm-hmm. 
they were talking to the news. They wanted to tell people because it was wrong, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they wanted to stand up and fight. And that was what, that was really inspiring to me too, you know, Mm -hmm. is like seeing this family who's dealing with the death of their son, like already just like, you know, being catapulted into this, this fight, you know, standing up for other workers and their like uh, 11 year old daughter at the time, like talking for her parents in front of the city council, you know, you just kind of go with it, you know, I mean, you have to be listening and you have to be like watching for stuff like this, you know, and putting yourself in those positions in a way, you know, Mm -hmm. like I had, I, there was this, some advice I got from Keith Maitland, who's a documentary filmmaker in mm-hmm. Austin. He would tell me like, just film everything. Cause you don't know what like you're going to find, you know, you don't know what's going to yeah, happen. Yeah. And in this case, that's what happened. Like I was going to film this rally in Dallas and they came, that's when the dad came. So it was perfect that I did go and film and I was able to meet him and talk to him. And, mm-hmm. um, and then I was able to follow their story during the, the rest break. And then from there, it's like, then we can now and like incorporate this into the film. And we have, in this case, like a battle. Because I, I did want to have like some sort of battle. And there were many mm-hmm. battles happening at the time. Like we were filming the DACA DAPA um, legislation under mm-hmm. Obama the Mm -hmm. Obama administration we went to DC we did like a road trip and we were filming workers like driving there um and I thought that we went in front of the Supreme Court for the decision and I thought it was going to be all about that and in the end like that was all cut yeah (laughs) wow I know you're saying all this and I'm like I don't remember all that but yeah Yeah. I mean, how did that feel to kind of, I mean, I guess if you're taking that approach of like, shoot everything, what's it like to kind of kill your babies, you know, those scenes that you love and the the direction that you plan to go. Yeah. I mean, we filmed in the East room of the white house, president Obama, like talking, you know, like I was so excited to have that (laughs) in my first documentary, the president, you know, uh, the first black president too. Like, oh, so it, it was, I cried. I I totally cried, you know, Um, and just tried, I kept trying to figure out like how we can get it. And my editors were just like, Mm. no, I would have made a screensaver out of that footage or something. (laughs) Just like had it playing on one of those, those frames that play video in my bathroom (laughs) or something. Just yeah, that's my Obama footage. Exactly. I mean, maybe we can release like some, you know, deleted scenes or something, you know? Yeah. Or like extended whatever online. Yeah. 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 That's but so exciting that you're yeah. the, that's exciting about the PBS thing. What, what kind of community screenings do you have coming up? Um. So we are actually planning a like Labor Day weekend screening, drive-in screening. Oh, nice. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. On, hmm, let me see. It's the the Sunday of Labor Day weekend. So whatever okay, the date yeah. that is. Yeah. And so we've, we've been grateful to have some really awesome 
um, supportive partners who love the film. And so they want to host, you know, that screening. And we might even add a second screening because of the excitement around it. So uh, potentially we, yeah, yeah. And I might, I'm trying to get, I'm going to see if we can play Sharon when you clean a film Mm -hmm. before too. Yeah. 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 So that would be so perfect. Yeah. Wouldn't it? We've got the drive-in screening coming up. And then um, we plan to do some more like drive-in screenings just across the country. And we're doing the outreach right now to try to set those up. And then, yeah, whatever else like may come along, people can request screenings, uh, virtual screenings now, I guess. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a bot, like the community screenings are so, that's where you see the greatest impact, you know, mm-hmm, of your mm-hmm. film. And I just love meeting people and seeing their reactions. And I mean, we had gone to one film festival in Colorado and this woman was like, I want to donate to Claudia, um, the electrician in the film who Mm -hmm. was stolen, uh, her wages were stolen. And she was like, I want to donate money towards you know, her recovery of that. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And she donated like a hundred dollars to her. Wow. You know, like it's yeah, yeah. Just those little moments are just mm-hmm. so awesome. And it's like so uh what's the word? Like it um restores faith in humanity. <laughs> Cause right now a lot of people are out here at the restaurants and I'm like, come on, y'all. But when you see things like that where you, you yes. you're able to like touch people with a message and they respond. It's like, see, this is, we do have that human connection and we do have empathy. Yes. And it re-energizes you as a filmmaker too, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's a tough like path, you know, it's, it's a lot of work, you know, and when, you know, it's isolating, it's a fuck ton of work, (laughs) Um, you know, you hardly get any sleep, and you're not getting paid very well, and you many times, like, you know, think, I mean, at least I did, was like, is this, is this what I want, like, is this the career that I want, you know, do I Mm want to continue Mm -hmm. making films after this, and then you share it with an audience, and it's just so awesome and just mm-hmm. so amazing and then when to have the people in the film there too and to see their reactions yeah it it just it's great and so it it's it kind of sucks right now you know when this mm-hmm. pandemic time of like not being able to like gather in person and share yeah. the film with people you know mm-hmm. I mean thank goodness for drive-ins um mm-hmm. so we'll see how that works you know I think it's a little bit harder for indie films and like mm-hmm you know, documentaries at least too, uh, because people, people want to go to the movies, but they want to see the blockbusters, you know, they want to be entertained, which is totally understandable during COVID times, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's like trying to figure out like how to still, how to still engage people and make that outreach, you know, during this time too. So, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm excited for the PBS. I mean, I think it came at a really great time and um, yeah, just excited to share with people. Yeah. And I feel like online platforms have been kind of the go-to for a lot of people yes. right now. Like obviously people are stuck in watching, you know, the tiger Kings of the world, but at the yes. same time, there's a ton of other really great content out there that is, yes. you know, making an impact. So that's exciting that like, I don't know, maybe you might end up getting more 
people reaching out in different ways this time. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Hope And hopefully like, and I think even now too, this whole people are understanding what workers go through, you know, what they experience and yeah. now calling construction workers too essential, I you know, know, right. I go from no rest breaks to now I'm essential. Like, what is this? Yeah. 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 And now, you know, I think a lot of people are now thinking of that word essential in a different way. It's like, is this just a coded term for we, you know, the way that we value human labor, Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. Yeah. It was, it was actually when I first started hearing that I was just like, you know, before all of this, y'all were calling these people low wage workers, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and just putting them in the bottom of, you know, this hierarchy we have in society. And Mm -hmm. now, (laughs) now you realize how important they are, you know, exactly. which I don't know if it's important to like build luxury buildings right now, but (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yeah. We need it. We who? Who's the we? You know, like we don't need billionaires. Billionaires need us, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I think that watching your film and watching it kind of like unfold in front of my eyes and then, you know, contextualizing a little bit with a lot of the other labor stuff that's going on in the state right now. I mean, it opened up my eyes and I feel like I'm someone who's paying attention to that kind of stuff. I can't even imagine for someone who walks into that, you know, with an open, an open mind, but like that stuff hasn't been on their radar. Like, I wonder how, you know, jarring that is to kind of absorb at one time Mm -hmm. and to see it all kind of unfold through these different stories. So it's really cool to see how, you know, the, the film has made an impact and how it's had such, such reach. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, we also, you know, we were still filming, um, through 2016 and Mm -hmm. there was a lot of people were asking me like, Oh, how are you going to incorporate, you know, Trump into the film? Mm. And I just, I never wanted to include, you know, that because it was like, this this stuff has been going on for a long time and like even before him you know Mm -hmm. and like I'm really glad we didn't because I mean look what's happening now you know is like people are like oh you know construction workers need masks and stuff and it's like they've been asking for masks and for like (laughs) just basic like fall protection you know for decades you know (laughs) like Mm -hmm. I mean falls are like the most danger or falls are the most common like um injury or death like on the job and it's like Mm -hmm. the most preventable you know so god it's just like um I mean you know in a way I it's it's you know the the bright light I guess here is that like people are paying attention even more now even without Mm -hmm. watching this film you know yeah um but um hopefully they can see the bigger picture and realize that like you know these these basic things we're asking for construction workers now like they should be permanent and like Mm -hmm. they should always have this protection as they move forward you know yeah and not just construction workers when you talk about farm workers when you talk about domestic workers like in Sharon's film like so many protections that just don't exist so exactly yeah really great to see that 
yeah. kind of coming together. Yeah. So what is next for you? What is next? Um, I have a lot of things in development right now. So one, and, uh, and you know a little bit about this because you participated in that was I'm working on a podcast about student loan debt. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was um, fun. That is, um, that was part of the line residency that yeah. I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I've always had this like art installation idea in mind that was connected to like student loan debt. And so that residency was awesome. Again, back on like doing labs and, um, yeah. you know, residency like opportunities yeah. to let you grow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and residencies, there's a lot out there that actually like pay you to like live somewhere, you know? So I want to do that. Get on that. Get on that. I need to figure that. out a way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So that will be a podcast on student loan debt, just kind of talking to people and uncovering stories of debt. Um, I think it's often stigmatized, you know, and I'm, I realized that I was holding back from my own story and then realized that talking about with others was not only helping me, but it was helping others too. Um, mm -hmm. Because now we had like something in common and realized we weren't alone. So yeah. um, that's the point of that. And you, Samantha's on on the first episode. Yeah, um, that was really great. It was a lot of fun. We did a live, uh, a live podcast with an audience. Yeah. So they, we, you know, there's discussion also. So that was a really cool kind of format. Yeah. And so with the podcast, I'm also developing, um, a documentary on it too. That's following my own personal stories. And then I'm venturing off into narrative film. Yay. The crossover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm super excited about it. I'm a little nervous, but um, I am working on a short film with um, local filmmaker Sharon Arteaga on her short film, um, helping her produce. And that's been really awesome because I don't know all the like little things of narrative filmmaking, mm -hmm. you know, like certain crew members. I'm like, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so she's been an awesome teacher and just really patient with me. So I'm excited that that's kind of like my first step into narrative with someone who can like help me out and learn, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't realize this, but she's been doing this pre-production class through this, through, I think the film society for like years. It's like a class, like a curriculum. So yeah, she's like, that she teaches, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So she yeah. is probably the best person to be learning from <laughs> the best. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Um, and also just because like in writing out a budget for a a narrative it's so different from documentary you know yeah so that's been fun and then um working with her also and then with four other latina filmmakers in texas for a kind of on the bus um feature narrative film um cool. and we're in very early development of that but i'm super excited um yeah about that as well yeah so many great things cooking oh my gosh yeah. Hopefully something hits and <laughs> we can get some money eventually. Actually able to make it. Yeah. Otherwise we're all relegated to doing like 
Zoom videos like Saturday Night Live oh my did. God. <laughs> <laughs> Although That's maybe the future of filmmaking. Yeah, well, maybe someone will see it and like pick, you know, offer you something. Um, this the filmmaker. I think it was a filmmaker of Tangerine. Um, yeah. He uh, like optioned um, a film from this person he saw on TikTok and like oh, wow. loved the video or something and like reached out yeah. to that person and now they're like collaborating. Yeah. That's crazy. So... I mean, Tangerine also has a non-traditional start, right? Like that yeah. was one of the first films that was shot on like all iPhone all and iPhone. stuff. So yeah. 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 Oh, I, I think they that. lied too. Like, I don't, I, I guess I shouldn't say lie, but like, I don't think they told Sundance when they submitted that it was filmed. On oh yeah. IPhone. No, I would yeah. have been like, oh yeah, it's a treatment. <laughs> <laughs> we shot on 35. Yeah. The budget for yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Well, so the, I know you've talked a lot about like community and networking and all of that stuff. What are some resources that you'd like to share to with our listeners, whether that's books or websites or anything else, um, on top of all of the great nuggets of advice you've given us so far. Yeah. Um, definitely head over like to firelight media's website, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, they are doing, um, a resistance series now. So every Friday they have just a really badass panel of filmmakers and they're talking about issues, um, within film. They're, they're doing this resistance series. So check that out. And then they also just always, they have a very large network. And so they're always sharing resources as well on Twitter and Facebook. And then, I mean, I would also go to, uh, like no film schools website to Mm. look for grants. They always put out this like winter, you know, 2020, uh, grants list. And Mm -hmm. it'll be like all the documentary and narrative grants. And I always look to that, like as a resource, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, and then Sundance too. Um, I mean, if you're looking for funding, and I think they might have labs too. Well, don't quote me on that, but they also have. I know Sundance does have labs. Yes. Yeah. They have, mm-hmm. they have labs, but um, they have this directory of grants and mm. it's like specific also to states. So like you can look up oh. your state and see like what grants are available there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if they list labs on that too. They might, they might list like state fellowships and stuff like that. So I feel like that is also a really great resource as well. And then I just, I try to follow like filmmakers that I love also, mm-hmm. you know, um, especially documentary filmmakers and they're always posting stuff as well. So if you like a certain kind of film, you know, genre or a director or whatever, like follow them on Twitter. Like I love Twitter, Yeah, <laughs> you know, I feel uh-huh. like it's a great way to connect with people. It's really easy to connect with people. There's just really good information on there when you, when you curate it, you know, to what you want, you know, mm-hmm. what you want to follow. Yeah. So how can people follow you, Chelsea? Do you have a, you know, social channel of choice? What's the best way to kind of see what's going on with you? Yeah, you can follow my film Building the American Dream on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, And then we're also on Twitter at Building Film. 
And then you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Panda Bear Films. And uh, you can also follow me on Instagram and it's Blue Seachell, S-E-A-C-H-E-L. And then you can also sign up for a mailing list at buildingamericandream.com and just know I, we post news about like myself as well. And um, it's a great way to learn where the film's playing next. Awesome. Well, Chelsea, it was so great to have you and thank you so much for taking the time and sharing all of this goodness with us. Thanks again. And we'll see you next time. (laughs) Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. And that my friends was Chelsea Hernandez. Since recording the short narrative film, she mentioned has been granted prize money from South pitch, which is a program hosted by the new Orleans film festival and her film building the American dream has had its PBS premiere and you can still watch it on the PBS app. Everything we talked about today will be in the show notes on our website, thecreativespotluck.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whichever one of those is sucking the least amount of life from me right now. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creatives Potluck podcast, and I hope to see you at the next one. Bye, y'all.